1: This week on Buckets, Boards and Blocks, we're talking with one of the most unique members of the college basketball family, Jay Billis of ESPN, one of three bald men not on campus this year. And we've got some ground to cover with him for sure. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three-in-transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3-and-D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King,
2: let's do this! Welcome to Buckets, Boys & Blocks. I am King McClure along with my fantastic, amazing, soon-to-be big-time co-host Monica McNutt. As you record this show today, it is Thursday, February the 25th. Here in Texas where I live, there are still many problems because we had snowstorms last week that was absolutely ridiculous. And this week it's like 70 degrees, but whatever. But, you know, we're tough as Texans and we're bouncing back. So Monica, how are things in the DMV?
1: I'm so proud of you bouncing back as a tough Texan. That was wild. Did you ever lose power?
2: I didn't actually. We were we were good. No power. No no pipes bursted. We just were snowed in all week.
1: Oh, you had to sit still. Boo hoo. Anyway, <laughs> things are well in the DMV. The hometown is showing mad love. I'm I'm really enjoying the moment. Um, it's cool. I'm excited about the future.
2: Monica, just want to say you've been great in these past few weeks and all these shows. You've been doing your thing, putting on four buckets, boys and blocks and me and Bruce. And Monica says she's gonna take me with her as soon as she gets big time and she means it. So therefore, thank you, Monica.
1: Of course, I'm not gonna act brand new, but first big time dinner is on you when you get your contract.
2: But that'll probably be on you pretty soon because I'm not getting my big contract by the end of the year. But you, my friend are up very, very soon.
1: Well, I appreciate the vote of confidence, but with that said, we've got a super exciting guest coming up. All right, King and I are uh, some of the newer members to ESPN's basketball roster, uh, but one of the OGs as I like to call him, I actually love his tweets first thing in the morning, maybe more than his analysis, I'm not sure, Um, is the one and only Jay Villas, who's been talking hoops at ESPN for longer than King has been alive, not longer than I've been alive, at least 25 years. Um, Jay was a four-year starter at Duke and an assistant to Coach K on two national championship teams. Um, We've also got an interesting law law story involving Barney the Dinosaur that might come up today on the podcast. Um, He's been in some movies, well, there's a lot to get into. Without further review, uh, Jay Billis, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Monica King. It's good to be with you. All right, I'm
1: going to quickly turn this thing over to King because, Jay, we're super excited that you're joining us now because King and I literally were texting about you last week. So I am now going to lay out and let my little bro do his thing.
2: What up, Jay? How you doing? Great, King. How you been? I've just been living, trying to adjust in this COVID life. You know what you I mean? both. I do know what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. You and me both. For sure. For sure. Well, well, Bruce told me that you were in a movie. Matter of fact, I think the movie had two titles. Is is that so?
0: Yeah. I mean, this was back in the late 80s when I was playing uh, pro ball overseas. Um, I had done some commercial work. I got into the Screen Actors Guild and uh, and had a, had a theatrical agent to get more commercials. And he asked me if I wanted to, if I was interested in in acting. And uh, so he sent me on a, a read for a part in a movie just to see if I'd like the process. I mean, I didn't I didn't have any idea that, you know, it would lead to anything. And I wound up getting the part as an alien cop in a uh, science fiction movie that was starring uh, Dolph Lundgren. And uh, and so I, I was in that movie in the late 80s. It was originally titled Dark Angel and uh, and then they changed the title dark a movie called dark man was coming out at about the same time if if the story i was told was correct and so they changed it to uh, to a line that one of the other aliens had which was i come in peace so that was the title of the movie
2: so what what made the transition how did you make the transition from acting to sports broadcasting what made you want to do that
0: i don't think it was really much of an acting career you know i did the, the commercials and some of the some of the stuff i did uh, you know, in film were, you know, it's just, it, it kind of happened. Um, and I would have, would have continued it if I thought it had any legs to it, but it was just something that was really fun. Yeah. Uh, broadcasting, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but it's true. I mean, I didn't really think of myself so much as a broadcaster, as much as a basketball person. I just, I, I love basketball. And that was, you know, I decided, when my wife and I got married, we decided that coaching wasn't the best thing for our family, uh, so it was the best, the, be- the next best thing to to be in the game and uh, to coaching. You know, I couldn't play anymore; I wasn't going to play anymore. So, um, you know, coaching was something I was uh, I had prepared myself to do and was was thinking about pursuing, but uh, you know, the family was more important, and what we were going to do was more important than what I wanted to do. Uh, so the broadcast thing was sort of the next, next best thing, but I was practicing law and broadcasting at the same time. So my main job was as lawyer, uh, the, the broadcast thing just kind of, it was like Ivy kind of creeping up over my law career and kind of took it over and I had to, had to choose one. So I'm just curious. Oh, um, uh, you got
1: I love, well, first of all, Jay, I love that you mentioned that it was a team decision for you and your wife, because I think people do kind of look at what we do and glance over the sacrifices that come with it in terms of being really good, someone who has obviously reached your status in the game. But I am curious, what do you think has been the secret, the sweet spot to your longevity, your prominence? I mean, obviously the fact that you love the game shows and you certainly obviously do your prep, but what do you think has allowed you to have so much staying power?
0: That's a good question, Monica. I don't really know the answer to that. I think in anything, uh if you want to be good at it you you have to you have to study it and and try to be technically proficient and as you mentioned you i think you have to be prepared and uh, be competent to the point where you're somewhat of an expert in the field and so i hope i've i've done that um but there there's also an element in broadcasting to uh being liked um and whether it's liked by your bosses or uh, there's a public component to it. So I do think there's an element of luck in it, frankly. Uh, and I, I acknowledge that. I mean, I, I, I've often heard people say, well, luck is preparation, meeting opportunity. And I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not denying that. But, but there's also, there, there, there is real luck and real timing involved in everything. And uh, I remember when talking to my fiance at the time and, and my wife now about coaching, it was one of the things that was uh, was discussed was the amount of times we'd have to move if I if I did that, and you know pick up and move and you know it was one of those things where timing was an issue that that even if you did well you may never get the job you want in coaching uh, because because if you you know if you were if you're my age and you wanted to have the Duke job tough you know it's taken for forty years and uh, and you know you can get another job. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to choose. You know where you live is gonna be determined by your job. Uh, My job as a lawyer, I could work as a lawyer and do a really good job and be really proficient at it. It, But I got to choose where I lived, and and I could stay there as long as I wanted. So that that was that was the reason. But back to your question, how I think it goes to how you're successful at at anything. You know, I think you enjoying what you do is part of it. And I really I love what I do. I don't consider it work. The only thing I consider work and what we do is is travel. That 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 that's work. Mm-hmm. Uh but but the the job itself is nothing but enjoyable.
2: Hmm. So I, I've always wanted to ask you this. I've just been curious. Me as being a young analyst, you being probably the GOAT right now. <laughs> one, one of our true.
1: favorites for sure. If
2: only for- if that were true. <laughs> When you're doing a game, what exactly are you looking for while why, why you're calling the game?
0: Boy, that's another really good question. Uh, I think when, you know, it's funny when, I think you guys will relate to this, when you're at a, like an AAU summer event and there are three ga- games going on at the same time and, you know, you're, you're watching and maybe scouting players. I used to try to collect data from each game. And then I realized I can't do that. I, I just have to watch the one game and concentrate and immerse myself in the one game. So when, I, when I'm doing a game, the first thing I try to do is immerse myself in it. And so I immerse myself in the preparation. And to me, the amount of prep I do, uh, and, and we all do a tremendous amount of preparation, that's not unique to any one of us, but I, I think the the preparation that we do frees us up to, to say what we see on the floor that I don't go into the game. I I think maybe I did at the beginning of of my career, maybe going into the game with an agenda of things I wanted to get in. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I go into the game and you may have an idea about storylines and things you expect, but it can change like that. And so uh, of the prep I do, and I think think you guys will probably agree with this, of the prep we do, we probably only get 10% of it into any given broadcast. We just don't know what ten percent it's going to be, and so the, the the prep allows me, I I think and I hope to react to what I see, and uh, and just be be genuine about what I think uh, about the game and and about what I'm seeing, and to be relaxed in the in the moment, in that regard, and so so that that's and and then you have to let loose of. Uh, fear of of the consequences of hurting somebody's feelings. Frankly, that that you're going to make judgments about teams, about players, about coaches, uh, about officials, uh, sometimes about the rules themselves, or about policy, or about the way things are set up. And and look, uh, everybody reacts differently to criticism. But if you're gonna if you're gonna be in this business, I think you have to say what you think and and, and then be prepared to stand behind it. And and I've tried to do that over the years
1: that is, man, Jay, like, I think it's really cool to hear you say some of the things that like King and I have discussed, and we're like still navigating, um, because that's my thing, like, I'm gonna tell you what I see and why I see it, and I'll explain to you why, we don't necessarily have to agree, but the luck component is huge, like, I feel so fortunate, you know, for the steps that I'm making moving forward, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that it's not just purely because of me it's timing it's luck it's hard work so this has just been super affirming but excuse me one second jay king are you ready to stop being cute and really ask jay what we've been talking about because i like let's go like what are we doing
2: let's, let's do it so jay Martha <laughs> and i were actually texting about you because i watched a video about you know what you said as far as undertones with uh jalen johnson and when he left and i just kind of wanted to have a dialogue about that and just no, see, see more of your thoughts about what you what you think about that and how you really feel about that.
0: Yeah, I I, I heard. Look, I'm I'm just like anyone. I consume this product uh, not only as a as a professional that works in it, but as a as a fan. And so I listen to talk radio. I love it. I you know I listen to podcasts. Uh, I I love hearing the opinions of my colleagues. And honestly, when I'm listening to to you guys do a game and I'm watching the game, I'm taking notes about what you're saying because there are things I learn from, from, from all of my colleagues when they're, when they're at work. And this is not to cast aspersions on anyone because I'm sure uh, I've done this in my career when, when talking about uh, these sort of issues. And you know, there, there is a manner of speaking, I think, that, that occurs in, in basketball, in coaching, and all these different things. So Jalen Johnson, when he made his decision, uh, people were saying, well, "Well, you know, those in his camp, or or people in his ear," and and I even heard his posse a few times, uh, mostly on radio. When I heard that, and I didn't care for it. And it wasn't that it wasn't that I felt like anyone was um, being overtly insensitive or trying to be insensitive, but I felt like it was insensitive because Jalen Johnson has has a mother and a father who are advising him. Uh, And is it so hard for us to say his mom and dad, his mother and father, both of whom are college graduates and played high-level college basketball that are guiding him through his decision-making process? If we don't know uh, that anyone is helping a a player make a decision, if we don't know, then I think we default to it's the player's decision. If you know and have information, then use that information. That's fine. If we want to say that that the high school coach or the AAU coach has been helping Jalen Johnson or whatever, but it's his mom and dad. Yeah. And I, I compared it to uh, Luca Garza of Iowa, who's who's most likely to be the national player of the year this year. And we've had pieces on, on Garza uh, uh, on ESPN and other outlets I've seen of his, his parents' hyper involvement. And I've never heard his parents referred to as his camp, or as people in his ear. Now he hasn't made any the similar decision, but he made a decision to come back to school. But that decision is celebrated um, because it's it's more in line with control over the player, and that that's the decision that the system wants to see a player make is to come back. So we often see those decision praise decisions praised. And look, I know this is a this is an example and is not is not completely analogous, but when Jordan Spieth was playing golf at Texas, he actually left his team to go play in pro tournaments. so while, while his team was competing in a college event, he played as an amateur in a professional event. Uh, and I think it was the Valero, but I might be wrong on that. Uh, and then he went pro after his freshman year. so you know, nobody, nobody kind of criticized that, and nobody criticized him leaving his team to go do that. Um, but in basketball, we, we, and I, I understand there's different viewership and all that. People care about it more. I get it. Mm-hmm. But, but I think we need to be more sensitive to the words we use, and and we can and should do better. That was my point, not to not to call out somebody as 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 you're, you know, you're being overtly this or that. It was just we can do better than this. Um, it's not so hard to say Jalen and his mother and father. He has a family just like everybody else and uh, and and we can we can do that. That's not that hard.
2: So due to the times that we're in right now, is that why you decided to speak up on that? because I mean it's it, it's evident and everything has been brought to the forefront. So did you feel like this was the time to speak about it now because you know this has been going on for? forever since probably since I was born so is that why you decided to speak up on it right now
0: well I, I, I probably there is heightened sensitivity to everything right now as as there should be frankly That that's past due mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think because uh, of the decision that was made it's unusual for a player to opt out uh, and declare for the draft. Even though it happened last year with James Wiseman at Memphis, I mean, you heard a lot of people, you know, Jim Bayheim included, say I can't remember a time where this has happened. Happened last year James Wiseman did it. Um, and that that is an analog to this. Uh, and people say that's different. Everybody knew he was going to be one of the top picks. It's not different. You know, <laughs> it's not it's an analog. It's it's just, it's an example of it happening. Um but the reason I did was because I felt like the commentary I was hearing and, and Jim Beheim's comment made into a microphone during his radio show. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't like somebody overheard him at dinner, having a private conversation. Um, I thought it was inappropriate. And I said, so I wasn't, I wasn't saying, you know, bad person. I was saying, don't agree with this. Uh, I don't agree with laying, you know, sort of laying that he was, you know, he was that his quote was that guy was hurting them and they're much better off without him. I don't buy that. I don't think it's true. And I think it's facile interpretation to point to a couple of wins and say the wins are because of his absence. Um, That, that, because nobody said that before he opted out when he had 24 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists, four blocks, zero turnovers against Pittsburgh and a very close loss. Nobody said he's the problem. That's a problem. They need to fix that. Um, you know, that, that's, I felt it was inappropriate. I said, so I've known Jim Beheim. He recruited me. I've known him since I was 17 years old. And, and I, I mean, this is literally true. I love him. I would walk through fire for him, but that's our job. And, and so I disagree with him on this point. That doesn't mean I won't agree with them on every other point. I disagree with him on this. And I said, so, and, uh, and he didn't like it. And we've talked about it, we're, we're fine, but, but you know, I'm not going to, just because he's mad at me, I'm not going to agree with him on this. That's not the way this works.
2: Mm. Uh, that's real. So how do you feel about the overall decision that he made, though? I mean, despite the undertone, despite what people are saying, what are your thoughts on the overall decision of him leaving?
1: Time out. Time out. I'm sorry, Jay. Um, yeah. I want my little brother here to to do the text conversation that we had, and I would like him to have a conversation with you, stating his case, getting all the way into it, and not just interviewing you because Jay is our <laughs> I'm colleague, ready. As much <laughs> as he is esteemed and we admire, but I, this dancing question thing, I'm not here for I, it, King. Okay, I'm going back I, on mute. I,
2: I get it, but after hearing what he said and actually thoroughly explaining it, because I watched the video and I was just like, hmm. But have to thoroughly explain it. I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I just want to know, like, because my, 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 my first opinion, first thought was, you know, he, he quit on his team. And I, I don't know as a player if I can accept that, really, just a player quitting on his team. But like I told Monica, I don't know the inside details. I don't know what really happened. That's why I'm asking you. So what, what is your initial thought on his decision to leave and opt out?
0: There there are a number of things. So, so one, the, the reaction that, 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 that Jalen Johnson or anybody uh, uh, whether it's even Xavier Johnson at Pittsburgh, who just opted out to to go into the transfer portal uh, with a few games left in the regular season. um, I, I get the whole, the whole, he quit on his team thing. That's where I think this discussion should be honestly is is we can discuss the decision. That's all fair game. Mm -hmm. Um, The decision that was made, uh, and, and should the decision have been made that way? Is it the right decision for him? Those are all fair, fair things. Were, were I counseling Jalen Johnson through this in addition to his mother and father, what I would have said is um, it's probably better if you stick it out for the year, even if you don't play as much as you think you should or, or you think it's hurting your draft stock, it will hurt your draft stock more to walk away right now. And given the way people view it, the lens through which people view this, you will, you will take more crap leaving now, and, and people will have a harder time understanding it. It's easier for you to explain, you know what, I had an injury, uh, I, I came back from it, um, things didn't work out, but I, I plugged through it, and, and, and I'm going to be better for it, that kind of thing. People hear that better than walking away. That's what I would have said, and look at how he's been pilloried for this. And I'm not saying some of the criticism isn't isn't correct. Um, that's fine, uh, but but that's what I would have said. That that you're gonna you're gonna have to take a big bite out of a crap sandwich if you do this, even if you're right, and uh, and you can overcome it. Like he can overcome this, um, uh, but 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 it puts him in a hole a little bit that he's gonna have to dig out with NBA people at, at the start. But his talent. Uh, I think can overcome
2: it. Okay, no, that, that's all. That's the only. That was my biggest question when I when I heard that. Just because I didn't know how you really felt about the, him leaving. I thought, you know, I heard the undertones, but I didn't really see, you know, because I don't agree with that. Me personally, just him leaving and him quitting on your team. As me being a former player, it's almost like it was like a brotherhood. You know, when you think of the Duke Brotherhood, we got the Baylor Brotherhood. We, yeah. we never walk out on our team, like, our teammates like that. I mean, I feel like that right there is unacceptable, and I agree with you 100. Right, he's going to take so much crap from the NBA because you quit. And why did you quit? I mean, because you weren't getting the minutes that you wanted to, or there's probably a various uh, amount of reasons. But still, that was my biggest thing that I was texting Monica. Is I wish he would talk about the, you know, him quitting and how he felt about that.
0: So. Well, we did we did talk about it, and that's all fair game. And I, I think that's where the discussion should be. But, but when, when it came, you know, when Jim Bayheim said what he did, that's what prompted me to speak on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it was reported widely. That's how I found out about it. I read reports about it and, uh, and then dug into it. But, um, you know, like the, the discussion points that we had on game day, sports center, the like, and the things that I said about it weren't mutually exclusive with the discussion about uh, was the decision the right thing to do. And reasonable minds can differ on that. Um, and, and like, that's that's where, that's where I think our discussion should be rather than kind of, you know, the, the old tired thing of, well, they're better off without him. Because I do think that was said reflexively. And, and, and is it ever said when someone's injured or when, when a player gets benched, you never hear an opposing coach say, boy, they're really better off without him. Um, when Jalen Johnson was injured, and Duke was going through, you know its growing pains where hey, they're not very they' they're not as good as we expected. the The question that we always get as analysts from from our outlets is, what's wrong with Duke? or what's wrong with Kentucky? All right. and And what did we all say generally? I mean, I'm not talking about it myself or anyone specifically. We said they need Jalen Johnson back. The guards have to quit turning the ball over. And and they need to play better defense, guard the ball better, keep everybody out of the lane. Because Duke was getting beat off the dribble, they had to go to zone uh, to protect the lane. You know, they they weren't. To, that was not all Jalen Johnson's fault. Like he didn't turn the ball over for the guards. He wasn't responsible for all of that. And then then the narrative began. Well, look, Mark Williams. They put Mark Williams into the lineup, and that's changed everything. And 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 Jim Behan's thing about. Well, Jalen Johnson was taking—he's uh, minute, taking minutes away from other players that are good. No, he wasn't. Jalen Johnson didn't make any decisions about who played and who didn't. All these players have been on the roster since the very first day. The coach, who's pretty good, decides who plays and decides on the lineups. And when when the lineup change was made, where Mark Williams was in, inserted, you know that that was more facile interpretation. That all these things are factors as to why a team continues to improve, but Duke went to practice every day. When they beat uh, Georgia Tech and Clemson, they beat them and played every bit as well as they did against uh, NC State and Wake Forest, which were the games people pointed to, to say, see, they're better off without them. And we all were saying at the time, boy, they, you know, Duke's turned the corner after that, uh, after the Georgia Tech and Clemson wins. And then they suffered some close losses and, and we were back talking about what's wrong with Duke again. But nobody said Jalen Johnson was a problem until he opted out. And then value judgments came into it. And, and I'm okay with it. Everybody gets to say what they want. But it's funny, when, 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 when people say what they want, they say, I have a right to say that. Actually, Jim Behan said to me, I have the right to say that. And I said, well, I have the right to respond to it. So where do we go from there? Do you want to talk about the, the issue at hand again? Like, you know, the free speech, like when you say, I have a right to say something, everybody else has a right to respond. And, uh, and so when I say something, I'm, I'm ready for the response. That's great, I, w- I want people to respond. That's the way you stress test an idea is by, uh, uh, by discussion in the marketplace of ideas.
1: I know my first reaction when I heard the Boeheim comments was the slogan that folks are wearing on their sweatshirts and t-shirts these days, mind the business that pays you, but I'm not a <laughs> Hall of Famer coach and I probably couldn't would, I actually might say that on TV. Um, but I will say you made an interesting point, Jay, that reasonable minds can differ on term in terms of quitting. And my stance, and it has been since the pandemic started when we had college basketball and the NBA come to a screeching halt is that we cannot adequately gauge duress feels like a strong word but I think it's fair the duress that playing basketball in a pandemic the sacrifices and the toll that they're taking on these kids so I had this conversation with my dad who's a longtime college basketball guy probably the reason that I played the game and got into this field I don't I don't love that he quit we all were teammates at one point but I also feel very strongly that you can't understand what these kids are going through unless you're going through it um, and so I was just kind of surprised that he, there was no compassion through the lens of playing through a, pl- a pandemic.
0: Yeah, that, you know, Monica, that's a great point. And it, it was brought up uh, to me recently by Shaka Smart at Texas. I was doing a Texas game uh, the other day and, and there was that uh, uh, sort of, I don't know what do you call it, a fight or an argument that Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones had during the, the West Virginia game. And they had a 14 point lead at the time. And I was talking to Shock about it and he said, you know, he he said, we've all seen that before where, where, you know, players blow up at one another, whether it's practice or game, because I've just never seen it when you had a 14 point lead, but he said, there are so many, he used duress. I think that the term you use, I think is a good one. He used the term stressors. He said, there are so many stressors in their lives right now. I think we have to expect some of that. And, and, you know, in the next game they played, Uh, against kansas those two were in in key situations you know arm around one another pumping each other up i mean you know that's part of competition is you're going to have some conflict but but to your point i i I think we do need to be as understanding as we can it's not not saying you excuse something but but that's part in that part of our job is to analyze these things so when we're analyzing it we, we do need to point out that there are a lot of stressors in their lives. And, and the fact that that they may not have shared with us every detail of it, uh, that doesn't that doesn't absolve us of the responsibility to at least at least bring up the possibility uh, that that, hey, let, let's take a step back here with all the stress these players are undergoing. Could that have been a factor in Jalen Johnson or Xavier Johnson's decisions uh, to leave, uh, you know, Duke and Pitt? One, one to concentrate on the draft, the other to go into the transfer portal. It, it absolutely could be. I just don't know if it is.
2: Mm. Well, let, let, let's segue into a little big picture hoops talk. So we see Baylor and Gonzaga at one and two. And I'll probably say Michigan is probably third. What is a team, who is a team in your mind that could potentially win a championship and surprise everybody?
0: Well, there are a number of teams that I think could, could do it. Uh, I still think we're looking at, at a, a scenario where teams from the top three seed lines are, are going to win. Uh, usually we're talking about ones and twos that, uh, that win this thing. Um, but you have, you have teams that break through in a bracket and wind up getting to a Final Four. It doesn't mean they're going to win the whole thing. I agree with you, King, that I think, I think Baylor, Gonzaga, and Michigan – those three now, I, I think instead of just the two we've, we've been talking about, Michigan's gotta be in there. And, yeah. and then there, there isn't everybody else feeling, but we were talking the other day in a game day meeting and uh, and there seems to be like this feeling out there that because there's a zero in the loss column for Baylor and Gonzaga, that somehow they can't be beaten. Like, if you guys been watching for the last 30 years? Like, they can absolutely be beaten. And they probably will be um, before they, they would meet in a final. And you know, Flo- you tell me Florida State can't beat those those two. T- of course they can, and of course Michigan can, and of course Ohio State can. There are probably more that can in a one game scenario. But um, you know, we're talking about basketball now. Like heck, when I was a, 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 a grad assistant at Duke, I mean, hell, Duke beat UNLV. They were undefeated and seemed unbeatable. Uh, the, the team that had Christian Leitner 92 Christian Leitner Grand Hill, Bobby Hurley, Kentucky had Duke. It took a miracle play to win that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely, uh, uh, those two teams can lose. And there are a number of teams that, that, that can do it. And, uh, and I think we're going to see something, you know, I think we're going to see, I, I, I'm hopeful that we get a, um, a, a competitive fun tournament, mm-hmm. uh, I would love to see Baylor and Gonzaga meet undefeated for the title. I just don't think we're going to see it. I think the odds are so stacked against that kind of thing um, that, that, that it, it seems such a, it seems a remote possibility to me.
1: I think so coach Oriema said to me after one of the Yukon games, I called the season. Um, I asked him, how do you gauge whether your team is going to be prepared for March in such an odd season? And I, the men's team's, most of them seem like they've gotten a few more games than the women's, but not many. And he said, with all of the oddities of this year, I don't know that any coach is gonna be 100% confident in the identity of their team by the time we get to March. And Jay, you throw in, now this thing is in one site where there's no, I mean, these kids are playing mostly without the crowd they're used to anyway, but there's no like regional fan advantage happening. Like there's so many, I guess the one thing we've all kind of landed on is teams that are led by upperclassmen, but I almost counter that a little bit If you've got talented youth and they're playing with house money, I really think we could be in for just about anything on both sides.
0: Yeah, you know, Monica and King, we've we've all had this discussion uh, in our show meetings and uh, before games and all that. People say people ask us, how how do you think Michigan or Florida State or you name the team is going to respond after their pause? And you're like, we can talk about this. But the honest answer is, I don't know. Nobody knows. It's not like we can consult our, our playing experience for something like this. Nobody knows. And, and there are different kinds of pauses out there. And nobody, look, I have no idea the amount of stress um, that, that the players are, are going to feel as they get toward the end of this and they see the finish line. And they're still kind of in isolation where they can't really come out of their rooms and, you know, all this separate stuff. Like I, I I don't know how many how many sort of isolation experiences you guys have had this year, but I started the season off in the Mohegan Sun bubble. I was there for six days. And when the last when my I did five games there in six days, when my last game ended and I was allowed out, you would have think I got paroled from a forty year sentence. And we had people that stayed there for thirty days. And then the people, you know, the, the the players and all of our colleagues that were in the NBA or the WNBA bubbles. Um, uh, I was there five days. I couldn't wait to get, or six days. I couldn't wait to get out. And uh, and so I can't imagine how the players are feeling after months and months of this this isolation, where they're only seeing each other, they're only going to practice and games, and that's that's the end of it. I mean, it's it it has to be uh, incredibly stressful for them.
2: You talk about isolation, we just saw it, what was that? I did the game two days ago, Baylor and Iowa State. We saw how they responded. I mean, Baylor was about as rusty as they could be. They almost got popped by Iowa State. So in terms of isolation, I agree with you 110%. I mean, me being so young, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could sit in a room for a week or two. You
1: you could. (laughs) Yeah. I know you. You couldn't. King would be no. a problem, Jay. Jay, you will be talking about King McClure's selfish decision not to abide by protocol. He can't handle it.
2: No, no seriously, though, no, I, I couldn't do that. So I don't know how you can. I think another like aspect we don't look at is the fact that when you come back for 21 days, you get out of shape. Like it's easy to right. get out, of shape, but it's hard to get back in shape. So then not only mentally are you are you drained, but physically you cannot do the same things that you could do typically at like the end of the game. So I think that aspect right there when you in terms of like mental health and just everything that players go through is so huge because you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fat boy at heart. So I know when I try to get back in shape, it takes me way longer than the average person because I gain weight easily. So I don't know if I could do that, to be honest.
0: Well, even, even if you think about when, when we were all playing, it t- takes me, it takes me f- way further back than you guys. But, you know, if you were allowed to go home for a few days for the the holiday um, you know, the, the Christmas holiday and you know, you get back, they tell you don't play pickup, you know, you can get in the gym, work out, uh, but don't play pickup. Mm-hmm. So you get back and you, you know, you're still quote unquote in shape, but you're not really in tip top ready to roll sh- and it's amazing how many times you either get beat or come close to getting beat in your first game back. And so, you know, a pause has to be way more difficult than that. Uh, But it's sort of the idea that Monica, you brought up about the, you know, you have to expect some inconsistency and be a little, it's hard to beat these, these players up over inconsistency when uh, I'm inconsistent from day to day. Heck, I went, I went a month where I only wore sweatpants. Um, That was the most consistent thing about me was I wore sweatpants every day. So I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not too keen on uh, on not having that kind of understanding.
1: Um, Jay, before we get, I do want final four picks from you before we let you go. But I'm curious, where did the "I gotta go to work" tweets start? What What birthed that whole thing? I love it. It's one of my favorite things.
0: In 2010 or so, we had a game day at uh, Michigan State in East Lansing, and I, I I can't remember whether we were on the air or or at a break or what. But Draymond Green uh, was warming up, and he had uh, headphones on, and we had asked him, "What are you listening to?" And he said, "I'm listening to Young Jeezy." And Hubert Davis, who was with us uh, at the time, and now now uh, on the bench as a coach at at North Carolina, turned to me and said, "Is that on your iPod or you know whatever the lame technology was at the time? You know, it's not a, it wasn't a playlist back then." And you know when I was in high school uh, it, it was probably 1979, like my freshman year of high school. Um, my teammates and I all, all got into a band called the Sugar Hill Gang. And they, they had a song called Rapper's Delight. And, uh, and we sang that thing every day when we were working out, loved it. And that kind of got me into, into rap and hip hop a little bit. And I, I really enjoy it. So I answered Hubert that, that, that actually is on my, on my iPod. And somehow people started coming at me on Twitter, and uh, and I, I answered back and and put a couple lyrics out there, because um, they were saying, come on, man, you don't listen to The Snowman, all that. And uh, and I, I said, yeah, I do. I mean, it's not all I listen to. But um, I, I if I remember right, um, I, I had to put a stop to some of that, because I literally had to go into my office. So I put down, I got to go to work. And somehow it just morphed into an every morning lyric that I, I would do. And it got to the point, Monica, where uh, when I was out doing the Maui Invitational and the time difference is so different, I, w- I got a couple phone calls from friends of mine going, hey, are you okay? You know, you didn't put out a Jeezy lyric this morning. And I'm like, this is out of control. Like, it's, it's 2 a.m. You know, I, <laughs> like, give me a break here. Um, so I I, gold. I, now I have to schedule them. <laughs> uh like when I'm on the road and and like sometimes I can't wake up at six o'clock I, I normally am up by then but now I schedule them when I'm on the road to make sure that that uh, that I don't miss one because if I miss it I'll I might get a phone call wake me up anyway
1: hey, at the risk of my black car being revoked they're all Jeezy lyrics or are these like <laughs> Things you come up with too, because I, no, I no, didn't no. catch them all. King, don't judge me. <laughs> they're
0: they're all Jeezy lyrics, and and some of them. There may be another when he does uh, when he does something with another artist. There may be something in there that was was like a, a verse from another artist that was was in a Jeezy song or something like that. Um, but uh, and every once in a while, I've always kind of la- uh, thought. All right, I'm gonna put out like uh, I'll put out something from like Barry Manilow or Billy Joel, and I gotta to go to work and see if anybody notices. Um, well, maybe. <laughs> they, they, I think they would. Barry Manilow, maybe. they might notice, but but I, I thought that'd be kind of funny, but I haven't done that yet. Right, All right wait, wait,
2: your... wait, wait, hold on, Monica. I gotta <laughs> ask, I gotta ask this. What is your favorite Jeezy song?
0: <laughs> my hood. I like my hood. I don't I don't know why why it, it just it stays in my head forever. It's not like the lyrics are are his best. Yeah. Um, but but the, the I, I can't get it out of my head when I hear it. That is the
1: mark of a good song. Okay, Jay, we do have to get um, your final four predictions, but we also did tease this Barney dinosaur lawyer story. Can you give us a quick okay. synopsis on that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, a, I was a commercial litigator when I practiced law full-time, which is like a, a trial lawyer. And uh, I had a case that walked in the door one day. Uh, I, uh, it was a costume manufacturer in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live and uh and he was being sued by barney the purple dinosaur by by the owners of the the copyright and trademark uh for trademark infringement and copyright infringement and he was selling these purple uh, selling and renting these purple costumes that looked exactly like barney but he just called him hillary the hippo and so parents would rent the thing and have barney birthday parties for their little kids and stuff like that so it was a it was a slam dunk case for them. We were just trying to settle it and get out of it, but they they wanted to make an example out of out of my client, and so they would they didn't want to settle the case for except for this exorbitant amount of money, and we were like we're not going to pay that because if you win a trial, uh, you're probably not even going to get that much. So we had no choice but to go to trial. So we we tried the case in federal court and we won. Um, and so I had to fight. I had to fight Barney the Purple Dinosaur every day in court, and actually subpoenaed Barney to the trial. And uh, it was, you know, on one hand, it was a, it was a in, really interesting case on a lot of legal fronts. And we wound up arguing uh, the case because uh, they appealed it, and we went to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals and argued the case. So I, I go to. A, one step below the United States Supreme Court, I'm arguing in front of a three judge panel, three justice panel over Barney the Purple Dinosaur. It was very, very, exhilarating and embarrassing at the same time.
1: Were BJ and Baby Bop at all cited? I'm just curious.
0: <laughs> no, no, they weren't even called as witnesses. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it was, it was all Barney. <laughs> but, but when I subpoenaed Barney to the trial, the, uh, it was the the thing that owned it, the entity that owned Barney is called Lions Partnership, and they, they fought it. And uh, and they said, well, you know, it's on unwield- the costumes always being used at shows around the world and uh, and it's it's six foot eight, 240 pounds. And I'm like, I'm six, eight, 240. I got in here just fine. <laughs> and so the judge ordered it to the trial and they brought it to the loading dock, opened up the back of a truck and the thing popped out and like, you know, did a, its little dance and everything. And the entire courthouse was down there. Um, some some of the courthouse employees brought their kids with them. They knew it was going to happen. <laughs> and uh it, it was so bizarre uh just a really weird time that is
1: gold all right jay last but not least we do need I, unless king has another way we want to end it but i'm curious to see who you would put in this final four
0: yeah, I'm, I'm with uh, i'm a usual suspects guy uh so you know i think you always have to be a little careful picking these crazy upsets because they only happen they only seem to happen the first weekend or if so, uh, some big shot falls down and opens up a path for a lower seated team but I've got, got Baylor, Gonzaga, Michigan, and I'm, a, I'm an Ohio State believer. Um, I don't think they defend as well as I'd like for, for the final four, but they can really score. And, uh, and so I would say those, those four, and a uh, little, little, little heavy on the big with two Big, big Ten teams, but, uh, but they're the best conference, and, and I wouldn't be, wouldn't be shocked. But I wouldn't be shocked, Monica, to see any of those four or all of those four not make it. Um, because we're more likely to have all, we're more likely that all four will not make it than all four make it. Um, mm. We've only had one year, and, and I actually picked this one, we've only had one year uh, where all four number ones made it to the final four, and that was 2008. And, uh, and you know, so the the odds are stacked against all four number ones making it.
2: Mm. I can, I, can, I can agree with that list. I, I, I know I, King has
1: Baylor in his final four. I would like to see Texas get through. I don't know if they got enough, but I'm rooting for Shaka. I'd like to see them get through.
0: I don't know. Great about guy. That. Great guy. I know, great know It's coach. a
1: reach. It's a little bit of a reach. I know, but I,
0: I would like it.
2: Sure. Well, Jay, we just want to thank you for taking the time right out of your busy schedule to be on the show, man, for
0: real. Yeah, it's really busy. I got to go take my sweatpants off and put real pants on now <laughs> so I can leave the house.
2: That was
1: dope. Time to wrap things up for this week. Thanks to our guest, Jay Billis or Jay Jeezy Billis. I, should I be embarrassed that I didn't know they were all Jeezy lyrics? Anyway, we're not talking about that. Uh, the Duke legend and ESPN analyst. Thanks also to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, Mike Wise has Hall of Famer Annie Myers-Drysdale. Oh, my God, I love her, who has classic stories and some great Phoenix Suns analysis. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has the best in college hoops each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron and Bruce, who fills in for Otto, has Brian Lewis of the New York Post with some great Brooklyn Nets talk. Brian also had a great piece on my homeboy, Jeff Green, in Monday's paper. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday, and I'm back with King next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing.
2: Our big hope for this year is that every single person on this planet can get the vaccine, the COVID vaccine to be specific, so that we can put an end to this pandemic, because I am so tired of wearing masks in public, y'all, but I'm going to do it, because that's what you're supposed to do. But, however, we're not there yet, so please, please, please protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, keeping your distance, and being considerate. Also, do not forget the medical professionals when you say your prayers. Why? Because they are truly the heroes of today. So, until next week, Monica, please do the honors.
1: If you hear knocking in the background, I'm sorry, getting siding put on my house. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, boards and blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.